How's everyone doing? Good. Open up to Philippians chapter 3. This is part two of my message from last week. Philippians 3, starting in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Well, last week we looked at the attack that the Philippians were under and how the Judaizers um, were trying to come and tell the church that in order to be justified, that is, in order to be righteous in Christ, they needed to not only believe in Christ, but they also had to obey the Mosaic Law, specifically circumcision. That was kind of the key thing for them. Now, why do you think circumcision was such a big deal um, to the Judaizers? Because it's the sign of the covenant that you are a member of the household of Israel, right? That's pretty important. So people are getting saved, the Gentiles are getting saved. Now, that any Jew that got saved at that time would have already been circumcised, right? But the Gentiles are getting saved. That wasn't a practice that they practiced. And so you have all these Gentiles who are being saved, and these Judaizers are claiming that in order to really complete their salvation, in order for it to be a real salvation... There has to be an obedience to the Mosaic Law. They have to go through and follow it, especially and specifically circumcision. So we looked at last week how Paul really enumerates three key things that you can see when you look at the life of a believer that really sets them apart from the non-believer or from the so-called professed believer who really is not a believer. The first one was worship. So last week we looked at the real worship. This week we're going to look at the other two things. We're going to look at the real glory and the real confidence. Now, in uh, verse 3, when uh, he talks about glorying in Christ Jesus, your version might say boast, it might say rejoice. Those are actually all good translations. So you can glory in Christ Jesus, boast in Christ Jesus, rejoice in Christ Jesus. All those are good. Um, But the Judaizers had a false glory. They were not glorying in Christ. What were they glorying in? The Old Testament. They took glory in the fact that all these laws were there, and that's what they rejoiced about. All these laws, I think there was like 633 or something like that in the Old Testament. And each one of them, a a good Pharisee uh, would know all 600 of those plus. So they boasted in the Old Testament Uh, They gloried in the law and how by it they were righteous before God. Now, Habakkuk tells us something different, right? The righteous live by faith. The righteous live by faith. And over and over again, God emphasizes to Israel, look, I'm not concerned about the external. I'm concerned about the internal. I desire mercy, he says in Hosea not sacrifice. And yet, over and over again, the external is what ends up getting emphasized 
by the Pharisees, by the Sadducees, by many of the Jews at the time. They are missing the spirit of the Old Testament and what God was trying to emphasize to them over and over again. We see a clear example of this in a parable that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 18. It's a short parable, but it illustrates the point exactly. Luke 18, in verse 9, he says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. What is he doing? He's saying how he's justified by the law. He's really justifying himself in God's sight. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So to them, it was about what they had done. Okay, So they could list all these great things that they had done, and it was that that they gloried in. This is not what we see emphasized in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. What does Ephesians 2 say in verse 8? For by grace we are saved through faith, right? And this not of yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's that same word again, boast. It's the same word that we just looked at in Philippians. Boast, rejoice, glory in. So that no one can boast. It's not about us. See, our salvation comes from God. And it is he alone who gives it to us. There is no boasting. If someone asks you about your salvation, you should not start with the first person. You shouldn't start with I. I did this. I did that. It should be this is what God did. The emphasis should be on God and what he has done. Because you can't save yourself. You can try. It's very disappointing. Our salvation is from God. And that's what the Judaizers are missing. They're missing the big picture. The Pharisees missed the big picture. The Sadducees missed the big picture. Look at Mark. In chapter 3. In verse 1 it says, Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Here's that critical spirit I talked about last week, right? I mean, they're wondering if he's going to heal, not so they can glory in God, but so they can critique and criticize Jesus. Verse 3, And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand 
was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So, I mean, they've witnessed this miracle, and, and, and people are rejoicing, but what are they concerned about? Taking Jesus down. Why? There's no law in the Old Testament that says you cannot heal on the Sabbath. But what the Sadducees and the Pharisees had done was that they had established what we would call the oral law. So you had the written law, right? 39 books of the Old Testament. But the oral law was um, what they would say was a fence around the written law. So concerned were they about breaking the written law that they wanted to make sure to the minutest detail that they would no way transgress the written law. So they set up oral laws to prevent them from even transgressing the written law. So those oral laws went into great detail. Well, what is the definition of work? If you can't work on the Sabbath, right, that's one of the commands. But what is work? What does that look like? So then they would come up with these things. Well, you can only walk, you know, uh, half a mile on the Sabbath. That anything more would be work. But anything less is fine. All these detailed rules defining what work is, completely missing the spirit of resting on the Sabbath. So here, that's what the concern is. Is Jesus going to work on the Sabbath? And he gets to the spirit of the law. And that's why he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? That's the question. To save life or to kill? He's penetrating past all that and getting right to the matter, and they don't have an answer, as usual. Well, in contrast, the believer doesn't focus on these minute details and setting up, well, some do, right? Legalism. But the believer doesn't glory in the law or works. And he realizes that he can do nothing to be righteous in God's sight. What does Romans 3.10 say? There is none righteous. No, not one. None righteous. And look at what Galatians says in chapter 2. Starting in verse 15, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Look, if we're justified by works, if we can earn our way to heaven, then Christ didn't even need to come. It was a needless death. And that is the crucial point when we're sharing our faith with people 
And people say, you know, all roads go to heaven or good works get me there. Look, then what's the purpose of Christ? What's the purpose of his sacrifice? And maybe some of you are unsettled in your faith, or you're not sure if you're saved, or you're not saved. Look, don't rest in yourself. Because if you rest in yourself, that will get you a one-way ticket to hell. Rest in Christ. Because it's he who saves you. You're called to put your faith, your trust, your confidence in Christ and Christ alone. But he's the one that saves you. And if you're not sure if you're saved or you're not saved, pray to him that he would save you. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your works. Trust in Christ. The true glory or boasting is in Christ. What does that mean? That our focus is on him. I mean, there's kind of a wonderfulness and kind of a a, a worthiness when you think about the word glory. You know, you glory to glory in something. To glory in Christ. So we focus on what he has done and not what we have done. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Did you catch that part? Because that's important. It says in verse 10 again, if while we were enemies, okay, unbelievers, the Bible says, are enemies of the cross. That's what each one of us was at one point, an enemy of the cross. But here's what he says, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. I mean, we're enemies, We're in rebellion against God, and he saves us. It's one thing to save your friend. They're in trouble. You help them out. Maybe they're in some financial trouble. You give them some money, or or they're in a bind, and you come and help them out. But how much more so when you do that for an enemy? Well, that's what we were. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He's saying, you know, if you're an enemy, I mean, think of the blessings now that you're a son. How much more so? If he did that while you were his enemy, think what he's going to do for you now that you're his son. Verse 11, more than that, more than that, okay, that's awesome. That's great news. But more than that, verse 11, we also rejoice in God. It's that same word. You could say we glory in God. We boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Christ's death reconciled us to God. That is amazing. That alone should cause us to glory in Christ for the rest of our life. That alone. The focus is on Him. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 26. 
For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. No human being might boast. No human being might glory. No human being might rejoice because of his own merits in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's that same word we just saw in Philippians 3. If you're going to glory, glory in the Lord. If you're going to rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. And notice something key. In verse 30, he says, Christ is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. We don't have our own righteousness. We have to have someone else's. We have Christ. He's our righteousness. We get to heaven one day. God says, are you righteous? We say, not on our own. Christ. He's our righteousness. So the focus is on him. God gets all the glory. Guess what? He wants all the glory. He deserves all the glory. So we focus on on Jesus. Colossians 1. I want you to catch hold of this as I read this passage. There's a lot of third-person pronouns here. He. I'm going to throw in Jesus because that's who it's talking about occasionally. So we make sure we catch the full the full gist of it. Colossians 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And Jesus is before all things, And in him, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. I mean, you want to glory in Christ? Just read that passage real slow and meditate on it and rejoice at how awesome he is. That's an amazing passage. So we extol him, we lift him up, what he has accomplished and not what we have A few more verses, because I want to keep emphasizing this so we completely understand we take no boasting in ourselves. Galatians chapter 6. In verse 12 he says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh 
Galatians 6, verse 12. Who would force you to be circumcised, and only in that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. No boasting in the flesh, boasting only in the cross. One more passage on this subject, Jeremiah 9. Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in all these things I delight, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. See, he makes a distinguishment between a physical circumcision and one of the heart. And who does he name here? Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. What's he saying? Don't boast in vain things, but boast in the fact that you know me. That I am your God. That you serve me. Yeah, Even in the Old Testament, God had a desire for people not to conform simply to the external. It was about the internal. He wanted a relationship with them. I mean, this strong language, he includes uh, Judah and Israel here as nations that are not truly circumcised. When every single one of those was. Because they were missing it. Completely. When you're boasting in yourself, you're claiming you can get along fine without God. You don't need Him. But guess what God is saying here? Boasting in yourself is a barrier to a relationship with me. Boasting in yourself is a barrier to a relationship with me. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. You are not mature if you have a high esteem of yourself. He who boasts in himself is but a babe in Christ, if indeed he be in Christ at all. Young Christians may think much of themselves. Growing Christians think themselves nothing. Mature Christians know that they are less than nothing. The more holy we are, the more we mourn our infirmities, and the humbler is our estimate of ourselves. I mean, here's the thing. When you're glorying in Jesus, and you're talking about how great he is, and you're meditating on his wonders and his worthiness, guess what? You're not even thinking about yourself. Because you're so focused on Christ that self is put to the side. You ever talk to someone, you know, and it's like the story always has to revolve around them? 
and you know, you tell some great story, but they always have to one up you. I mean, that's a self focus. Focused on self. We don't boast about self, we boast about Christ. So Christians are seen by their real worship, they're seen in the real glory, and they're also seen in their real confidence. This confidence is not in their own accomplishments, but confidence in what Christ has accomplished for them. And it really goes hand in hand with glorying in Christ. Uh, As you boast in Christ, your confidence in him will grow. And as you put more of your confidence in Christ, you'll boast more and more about what he has done for you. So the real confidence. We don't put confidence in the flesh. We put confidence in Christ. What do we talk about when we mean confidence? It's like a deep trust. Faith. Confidence. Now, the Judaizers took pride that they were of Jewish descent. Many Jews did. Probably all of them. But this is kind of dealt with in Luke chapter 3. Look there. This is John the Baptist speaking in verse 7. He said, He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's real gentle with people. (laughs) Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Look, God doesn't care about ethnicity. Otherwise, Ruth wouldn't be included in the genealogy of Jesus. He doesn't really care about ethnicity, else Rahab wouldn't be included in the genealogy of Jesus. Why would he have bothered with Nineveh, right? Jonah didn't completely get it, did he? God's not concerned about ethnicity. He's concerned about people's hearts. Each man and woman will have to stand before God on their own someday, apart from any race they can claim. And each person will have to account for his or her own sins committed. If you don't have Jesus, that will indeed be a very scary day. So the Judaizers were about the externals. Paul decides to meet them point for point on their own ground. If you look back at Philippians, that's what he says. In verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. What is that getting at? He followed the law even from his earliest of days. Of the people of Israel. He was God's chosen race. Not only that, He was a Jew by blood. He was not a proselyte. He was a full-born, blooded Jew. Of the tribe of Benjamin, it was the only faithful tribe that adhered to Judah when the other ten tribes left and formed the northern kingdom. And not only that, Jews in general highly esteemed the tribe because that's where Jerusalem was located, and as such, the temple A Hebrew of Hebrews likely indicates he could actually speak Hebrew at the time, which is not true of all the Jews. As to the law of Pharisee, 
What were the Pharisees? Strict, disciplined, well-educated, and highly respected by the people. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Now, no one outdid Paul, right? When it came to persecuting the church. I mean, you have to have a real zeal when you're traveling from city to city, finding Christians and having them imprisoned and even killed. So if the Judaizers thought they were zealous, I mean, Paul had them beat. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He followed the minutest parts of the law to a T. All the written law, all the oral law, every single aspect, he had it. Now, the first three that we mentioned are inherited privileges. The last four, for Paul, are personal achievements. Yet this man called himself the chief of sinners. All those accomplishments, why? Because he rightly understood who he was in comparison to Christ. All right? The comparison is not between you and the person sitting next to you or the person sitting in front of you or behind you in the pew. The comparison is always to Christ. Sure, you can probably outshine uh, many of us in this room, you tell yourself. That might be true, but you can't outshine Christ. You can't outdo him. So Paul knew he was not Paul the righteous. He was Paul the sinner. Paul's saying, look, I have reason to be confident. In fact, I have more reason to put confidence in the flesh than just about anyone. But I realize the vainness of such confidence. It accomplishes nothing for me. It doesn't get me any closer to God. It doesn't help my relationship with him. In fact, it hinders it. What do we put our confidence in today? Not usually our ancestry. But we have other things we put confidence in, right? Our bank account. Our retirement account. You know, you get this statement and you, you look at that, oh, I'm doing pretty good. Things can get pretty rough. I could weather this storm. I lose my job. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be able to retire in a little bit. All along, you're looking at that statement. Is there any confidence in Christ? Or is that confidence in what you've done? Confidence in the work that you've done? Or in what Christ has done for you? Let me ask you this. If God made you to be a poor widow, if he made you to be a poor widow, would that shake your confidence in him? Because there are many poor, godly widows out there who have a strong confidence in Christ. And if it would shake your confidence, then you're saying that your confidence in Christ is linked to his good provision towards you. And you have no guarantee of good provision towards you in Christ. He will pour the riches on you, but that doesn't mean one single coin will come your way. He will pour his grace and mercy on you, but that does not mean your bank account will be filled. Sometimes we put it in our education, how smart we are, our area of expertise in a particular thing, the number of initials we have behind our name indicating the different degrees that we have. You know, if your expertise were stripped from you right now, if your education was taken away, if your degrees were wiped away, 
Would that shake you? What would you do? Would you continue to have confidence in Christ, continue to trust him, knowing that he will take you through it? Some of you younger people put confidence in your popularity or your good looks. It should be in Christ. And I think sometimes we can also put it in our denominational affiliation. Of course, we're non-denominational, right? So we don't have that problem. (laughs) We can put it in our system of beliefs that we have. We take pride in the fact that we have it figured out. We know the proper position on some of these things that my conservative brothers and sisters, they're off on. They don't quite get it. We take confidence in our own wisdom and understanding apart from Jesus. It should be in Christ. Our confidence should be in him. For what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. It's not about what we have obtained, but what Christ has obtained for us. Our greatest of acts falls so short of the greatest sacrifice that he made for us. We could do the greatest of accomplishments, be the best athlete in the world, the Nobel Prize winner in various fields, have the highest IQ. It all falls short of what Christ has done for us. And that's why we can take confidence in him. And that's why we should. Let me say this. Don't put your confidence in what you've accomplished. All right? It's all on paper. It can be gone just like that. Ask people who were getting ready to retire back in 2008. Many of them lost everything. It can be gone just like that. You need to place it solely in Christ. Boast about the things that he's done for you. Boast about how good he is to you. Revel in those things. Glory in those things. One last verse, 2 Corinthians 3. Starting in verse 7. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Did you catch that? It's called the Old Testament. It's a ministry of death compared to the new. And he's saying that was it was a glorious thing. It was an amazing thing. So glorious was it. I mean, Moses' face was like shinings. He had to wear a veil. It was a glorious thing. But he's saying, how much more the ministry now that we have? Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. We have the ministry of the Spirit. That's what we're under right now. The ministry of the Spirit, not the ministry of death, not the ministry of condemnation, 
the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit. It should be seen then, right? It should be seen in our midst, in our worship, in our boasting, in our confidence. It should just be shining forth from us. Here on Sunday, here on Wednesday, throughout the week, at your work, at your home, it should be shining forth. It's a glorious ministry. So glorious that it calls the other ministry a ministry of condemnation. So glorious it calls the other ministry a ministry of death. That's how glorious it is. Well, let's glory in that glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank, thank you that we serve you, a powerful God, that it's in your Son we have real righteousness. That it's in what he did we can take confidence. And Lord, we do have the real. We have the real deal. We have the real thing in you, in your Son, in your Spirit. Lord, let us act like it. Let us display it. Let it be seen clearly to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our coworkers, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our unbelieving family, that you and you alone we trust, we place our confidence in. God, if anyone here is wavering, and I feel like you're saying there's some are, let them pray to you right now. Let them confess that and talk to you. Give them the righteousness that's only found in your Son. Save anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you. Lord, we want to worship you. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to glory in you. During the Sunday service, we want your name lifted high. Lord, fill us with your spirit as we come in each week to worship you in spirit and truth. Fill the worship team to lead us in worship. Lord, your name is to be high and lifted up. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to you, Lord. Let it be true of this church, of each one of us. In your name. Amen.